books on books on the brain. <laughs> Welcome back to Books on the Brain, a podcast of books and nonsense. I'm Deirdre. And I'm Danielle. And Danielle's laughing at me. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I don't know why I was laughing. It was just, I th- I thought you were going to clap and it was because we used to always clap. I know. And then I was like, oh, we, no, don't, we don't have anymore. to. I thought you we were laughing because I went from like my before recording face to my like, I'm on camera now. Customer <laughs> service face. Fair. No, 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 no. It was the clap. It was the, and I was like, should you clap? And then you did it. And I was like, oh, silence. No. I panicked. I was like, do I clap too? Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, The times are changing. Times are changing, evolving, growing, such an and so forth. How how was your two days since the last time we talked? (laughs) Um, They were fine. Work is crazy because we have a new cast going into the show. Or new cast members, I should say. It's not a full cast changeover. Um, So... There's just, there's a lot going on over at the theater. I've got some, like, health stuff I'm dealing with, which is, like, good. It's not anything crazy. It's not anything to be um, stressed about. It's, like, just stuff that I'm finally getting on top of. But it is taking up a lot of brain space. As it does. As it does. But it'll be worth it. It will. I hope. Amazing. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Oh. I was trying to move into the center of my screen and my chair said no. The chair said you live at an incline. Actually, more like my floor said no. Floor said apartment with character. <laughs> apartment with character. How have you been? How have your two days been? Uh fine. I'm very tired. Um I uh, I had a medication change. I had a medication dosage oh. change uh like a week ish ago mm-hmm. um and it just knocked me on my butt <laughs> i'm so tired i'm like my medication journey has been interesting because usually you increase increments by 10 milligrams okay but i've increased now twice by 20 milligrams oh. um so they're bigger jumps which for me has been really helpful with like the symptoms that I face and like managing them sure but also means oh boy I'm tired uh like I feel so much like mentally I feel better but my body's like (laughs) like sarcophagus um hibernation yeah sleeping forever um and I'm feeling a little nervous because tomorrow is my first day of my PS2 practicum in my Mm -hmm. little school Mm -hmm. for the next six weeks um I'm just, yeah, just feeling a little nervous, feeling a little bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. that feeling? Of... I do. Um, that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling, yeah, just feeling a little overwhelmed and wished I could just sleep a little bit more. Mm. That's how I feel. <laughs> I wish I could sleep <laughs> more than the 20 hours I'm currently sleeping, which is too much. Like, I just, I don't know how I want more sleep. I am sleeping so much. Right. That's what Hopefully your body's that craving you right sleep. now. Yeah, I think my body's just craving the big sad. <laughs> it's not happening. It's snowing outside. My body's craving that big sad. And uh, so jealous. 
don't be jealous please don't i feel like this is 100 your fault dude you keep asking for snow and i get it instead i don't want that can't snow. be my fault <laughs> it is your fault no one here's asking for snow <laughs> no one in alberta or the western uh, i'm, I'm like we were it was on the forecast we were supposed to get three to six inches last week and we got a dusting a dusting uh, I wish. like not not even a quarter of an inch <laughs> it's been snowing all day here which is fine if i didn't have to go places in my car <laughs> right where i have to drive in the snow and like next weekend i have to drive to red deer for a play reading that i'm directing it's like a four-hour drive one way and i'm doing it in a day so i'll be driving eight hours eight and i'm hours. like please oh. dude stop asking for snow because I can't drive eight hours in snow. Please stop asking. Mm. Um, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. But I thought it was funny that Scrooge was like, "Oh, what's snow so bad?" And oh, then I wake so up every morning bad. to snow, and I'm like, "Come switch lives with me for a week." Yeah, but I don't want to drive. <laughs> She's shaking my head. Sorry. Shaking my head. Shaking my head. Guess what I've been watching since the mm. since the last two days? What I have been doing what next in fashion on netflix oh i am excited for this season i really like the first season i just finished the second season uh because i haven't quite literally haven't watched half the episodes because i was sleeping half of the Mm. time but i was like let her run (laughs) yeah let it run um it's so good i uh it's very much like, like phenomena where you watch like reality TV shows and you're like, I'm the master. I could do this. Where it's like yes. the delusion of like, ah, yes, like a hundred percent. I could do this. Everybody step out of my way. Uh, I'm feeling that delusion. So nice. That's nice. nice. <laughs> it's, but it's one of those things. It's one of those things. Yeah. I've been, um, there's a coworker of mine who also loves fashion and, We've been watching all the fashion weeks rolling and every day we're like, did you watch this show? Did you see this show? Did you look at the photos from this show? So I'm very much in like a fashion brain space right now. Cool. I'm excited to watch that show. I've been trying my darndest to stay on top of Drag Race. That has been my... Have you ever season 15? I'm caught up. Why have we not talked about it? I don't know. Dude, you gotta tell me. No one in my life is watching season 15. My mom's not watching it right now because she's behind so i was like who's you're watching what do you think of it so far um i think it's a pretty good season television entertainment wise Mm -hmm. um mostly because we're coming off of the not all stars not counting all stars but the last like new season yeah where so many people were not eliminated for so long (laughs) (laughs) yeah the longest that it's like okay we're like weeding people out um (laughs) however i don't love the shorter episodes like most people i hate it's it's killing me because there are so many moments where i'm like oh this would be longer yes specifically the deliberations or like the feedback on the runway even the runways in general like we get a little glimpsy poo and i'm like these girls are sinking thousands of dollars into these outfits yeah just crazy Um, I literally walk around and I'm like, uh, walk that duck. Walk that duck. You better walk that duck. You better walk that duck. I love Anitra. I love Anitra. Um, I love Sasha Colby. Me too. Obviously. 
The thing my roommate and I have been struggling with is, like, I wasn't familiar with the work of Sasha Colby before uh, the this season. Yeah. Um, like, obviously, I knew Carrie and, yeah. like, the idea of Sasha, but I wasn't actually yeah. familiar with her drag. And I think if you are somebody watching the season that is not familiar with her drag, her edit is not doing her any favors. I agree because I hundred percent agree because everyone's just talking about the infamous Sasha Colby, but then we get no clips, we get no yeah. context. It's just people being like, "She's so good," and then you just and see you're her in the and challenges. like I'm sure she is. Like her paint yeah. is beautiful. Her the lip syncing, stuff, her lip syncing is phenomenal. So good. The things she's pu- putting on the runway, the way she's showing up in challenges. Um, yeah, like how she interacts with the other girls in the workroom mm. but that edit ain't doing her favors for any new Sasha Colby potential fans and I feel like it's for a read like I feel like they're editing her in that specific way so that she doesn't seem like she's steamrolling everybody 100% of the time <laughs> sure um they're very specific about their edits on Little RuPaul's Drag Race. It's very interesting. Yeah, it um, is. The one, who's the person you like least? I know my answer immediately. Who's still on? Probably Lucy. Same. And I'll tell you why. She's tell trying me. too hard. From someone who tries too hard, someone who's too, too passionate about too many things, she's, she tries too hard. She tries way too hard. Um... She gives off, like, strong rosé vibes where it's, like, I don't understand, like, the delusion of, like, I don't understand why I'm not dominating. Which, yeah. you know, it's fair because she's incredibly talented and she's very good at a lot of things. But the edit but is not doing her, her favors. Her dress on the runway last week for the ball was not good. The one she had to make. It, I don't remember. All I can remember is her dog poop bag. <laughs> dress <laughs> Which was also bad. Yeah. I, I no. her drag just and this again this is the the, the phenomena of you watch a show long enough then you're like I am the expert of I am the expert of this thing I don't do sure. um but yeah Lucy I think we're missing a lot of what the like a lot of what happens in the workroom that would humanize her a bit because right now she just seems very like one track mind I I've winning? got to win this I don't know babe I don't know because I don't see you ever. You are yeah. not in the edit at all. Yeah. It's yeah. So she's she's just recently been annoying me. Yeah. Um, but episodes are going back to an hour and a half soon. Yes. Yeah, soon. this week or next week, I think. Which sometime in March. I I get, but I feel like it's important to have it from day. I don't know why they didn't because of the the friends of WeHo, whatever show yeah. that they were airing between untucked and sure. episode but um, i feel like if you started a season one way you need to end it that way uh, agreed because like, like these early queens who we get to meet for a week we don't know and like i as much as i want an hour and a half episodes with the queens i love it's also like not fair to those queens who got kicked off in the first what eight weeks right. <laughs> six weeks that like got very little screen time. time yeah interesting it's an interesting season it is. It is. It is. Anyway, stay tuned for our drag race recap podcast where we just talk <laughs> about drag race. It would be very interesting. Um, what are we doing today? 
today, Deirdre? Today we are doing our book report. Our book report. Um, yeah, it's it's time to report on things happening in and around the book world. Um, not news, just book things, just book related things. Um, just crazy things and could be present could be past yeah mine's a little bit of both and some of the future you know past present future past present future yes (laughs) i also Um, so i was gonna text you this and um but i thought it would just be funnier to bring it up on the podcast what i think we should do for the end of this season Mm -hmm. is do a tiered list of all of the online newspapers and how annoying we find them for doing book reports that would like be... which ones are the good ones and which ones are the ones that do not give you a f- single free article that's a good idea opinions that's a great I idea was like the daily telegraph hate hate okay. let me read a paragraph of the article okay like, sign up for a free month. that's me with the wall street journal i'm like guys <sighs> guys the guardian is the only one doing it for me right now and washington washington journal uh i, I guess think, today I is know. doing okay for me okay okay and vulture anyway this <laughs> we'll make a tier list it'll be a whole thing it'll be <laughs> and no one will care except for us <laughs> we'll be yeah. like yes accomplished also something <laughs> y'all don't know because i don't know that we've ever talked about it we don't set out any parameters each week so like sometimes we find through lines sometimes they're the two completely <laughs> different topics um yeah. and earlier today I got a text from Danielle and she was like, all right, time for the vague. Tell me what your <laughs> thing is about without telling me what it's about so that we make yeah. sure we don't do the same one. <laughs> yeah. Which is always a nice little surprise to try to think about your art, like whatever you're doing in a very vague sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, as always, I don't have a title for mine. So I okay. am t- I'm talking about the paused USA Today bestsellers list. Oh, So, on December 12th, 2022, USA Today told the Associated Press they would be pausing the, and I decided to throw in this big word here, illustrious USA Today bestsellers list. I know. That's that's a a five-cent word, word, baby. (laughs) Um, uh, They're pausing the bestsellers list because the presiding editor of the list, Mary Cadden, was laid off in a round of budget-saving cuts (gasps) on December 1st initiated by the newspaper's parent company, Gannett. Whoa. Mm. Mm. The list so literally has... cannot happen because she is not there anymore. Literally. Literally. And like, at um on one of the pages I was on on USA Today, there was a big chunk of, um, or maybe it wasn't, maybe she is the main editor on it. I'm not sure. Never mind. Um, okay. Anyway, they're pausing it because this this person was let go um the okay. list has been on i on hiatus since december with no updates in sight even though we were told that by like early 2023 we would have some news on whether the list would be um canned or continuing in a different way Whoa. so the list was last updated on december 1st and the top five titles were it starts with us by Colleen Hoover at number. I'm gonna go number one to five. So okay. number one was "It Starts with Us" by Colleen Hoover. Okay. The Choice by Nora Roberts was number two. The Light We Carry by Michelle Obama was number three. 
Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Diaper Overload by Jeff Kinney was number four. And It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover was number five. I know, she got the one and, she got two spots in top five. You got two spots. So And Diary of the Wimpy Kid only got one? What is this? So the USA Today list has been highly valued by authors, agents, and publishers who also look to lists from the New York Times and Amazon.com, among others. But one thing I kind of learned since entering the book space is that the USA Today list kind of seems to be the most coveted Mm. one because Mm. of the way it's curated. Yeah. So the Associated Press had quotes from romance author Sarah McLean, author of Heartbreaker, who said this about the list. Um, She and many of her peers valued the USA Today rankings because of their length, diversity, and transparency. Hmm. Quote, you get a broader view of the public industry. What? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You get a broader view of the publishing industry and what people are reading. For a genre like mine, romance, which is often forgotten, the USA Today Mm -hmm. list was invaluable. Interesting. Unlike the New York Times list, which has separate breakdowns based on genre, category, and type of book, like they have the children's list, the nonfiction list, young readers, Mm -hmm. hardcover, paperback, so on and so forth, the USA Today list combines all categories into one 150 title list each week. So it's a Mm. singular list. Um, What I found interesting was that a lot of people in the book space didn't really seem to know about the hiatus until late into the first and second weeks of December. Um, On Mm. December 8th, Mary herself tweeted, sad to say that after 26 years at USA Today, I'm among Gannett's layoffs. I'm so proud of my work at USA Today, especially covering books and the USA Today bestsellers list. I wish the best for my colleagues who are also leaving and those who remain. And that was on December 8th. In a quote from Publishers Weekly, there was an outpouring of support for Caden on Twitter and across social platforms. Since announcing her departure, Caden has not shared whether she has been offered a job elsewhere, but her work to create an objective resource that represents what book audiences are reading has been felt among the most commercially successful authors, such as E.L. James and James Patterson. E.L. James. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That's that's a direct quote from the article. <laughs> sorry, that's so funny. <laughs> sorry, keep going. I'm sorry, L. James. I've read all of your books, and I, that's a shame on me. Caden <laughs> uh, had been compiling the list for close to 15 years at the time of her leaving, which is a huge blow to a public outlet that both authors and readers rely on as a metric for what people are reading, or at least okay. are, are buying. So let's take a look. At the USA Today list, as it was before it went on hiatus, because we did a little brief dive into the New York Times list a while ago. We did, with the, um, the book that illegally got on. Yes. I can't remember so I name. figured that we could do really a little compare and comparison. Yeah. Um, so how does the list work? Each week, mm-hmm. USA Today collects sales data from booksellers representing a variety of outlets, bookstore chains, independent bookstores, mass merchandisers, and online retailers. And Mm. unlike the New York Times list, at the bottom of their about page, the list shares their contributors. AC, Roman's Mm. Bookstore and Book Soup in Pasadena, California, Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Apple Books, BarnesandNoble.com, Barnes & Noble Incorporated, Barnes & Noble eBooks, Booksamillion.com, Books A Million, (laughs) Books Inc., 
Costco, Google Playbooks, I know, Google Playbooks, Hudson Booksellers, Joseph Beth Booksellers, Lexington, Kentucky, Cincinnati, Crestview Hills, Kentucky, and Cincinnati, Cleveland, Uh, Kobo Inc., Powell's Books in Portland, Powell's.com, RJ Julia Booksellers in Madison, Connecticut, Schuler Books and Music, Grand Rapids, Okemos, Eastwood, Alpine, and Michigan. Maybe those are all in Michigan. I'm sure. Um, Strand in New York City, Target, and Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. The data collected is sales of books, which seems obvious, uh, and can reflect combined sales of titles in print and electronic format if available. So they even gave an example for this, which states, for example, if Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice sells copies in hardcover, paperback, and ebook during a particular week, sales from each format are combined to determine its Mm. rank. Using that data, they determine the week's 150 top-selling titles. The first 50 are published in the print version of USA Today, which goes out on Thursdays. And the top 150, so the whole list, is published on the website. The rankings reflect sales from the previous Monday through Sunday, where, and I think I'm going to talk about those, I'll mention this later when the New York Times goes out, but I think the New York Times is Sunday to Saturday. When the list is published, it also reflects what version of the book had the highest sales, um, Mm. which is where the combined data comes in. So the description of a title and the publisher name refers to the version selling the most copies in a particular week. And then there's like an H, a P, and an E to determine, you know, like the most amount of sales are happening in paperback or whatever. Mm. Um, So what are the requirements of the list? That makes mm-hmm. the title eligible. This is according to a Forbes article that was giving strategies on how to get on the list. <laughs> but it seemed to be pretty, uh, it made sense. So, so you have, funny. I know, you have to have a minimum of 6,000 sales in a week. Could be more okay. depending on the week. Um, if it's sure. a new release, pre-order sales are included. In that first week number, interesting. Only U.S. sales count. However, the author doesn't have to reside in the United States. It's USA Today. So they're they're only looking at retailers in the United States. They're Fair. only looking at data. Well, in the I feel United like States. that's also what the New York Times does too. So I don't know why I was so incredulous by that. Right. Continue. So it doesn't have to be an author that resides in the United States. It has to be Ooh. purchased at U.S. retailers. So like okay. Samantha Shannon just published um, A Day of Fall and Night. It is eligible because it is being sold in the United States at U.S. Gotcha. retailers. Gotcha. Um, at least 500 books have to be sold by a retailer other than Amazon. It Ooh. must be. Mm-hmm, it must be a paid book, and it can be a solo book or an anthology. Okay. Um, compare this to the New York Times requirements, whose re- <laughs> whose requirements and data uh, are murky at best. So in their own words, the weekly book list, this is the New York Times, sorry, hey. we're switching. The weekly book lists are determined by sales numbers. It reflects the previous week's Sunday to Saturday sales period and takes into account numbers on millions of titles each week from tens of thousands of storefronts and online retailers, as well as specialty and independent bookstores. The paper keeps its sources confidential to circumvent potential pressure on the booksellers and prevent people from trying to game their way onto the lists which we have talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And of course, its expressed goal is for the list to reflect what individual consumers are buying across the country instead of what is being bought in bulk by individuals or associated groups. Um, and then in one article that I read, breaking down the list, it was pointed out that there is a belief that there is an element of editorial curation at play with the New York Times list. Assuming the tracking of sales is what is supposed to decide what ends up on the list lists <laughs> uh, is often wrote with a more curated consideration. Like, are the book sales mostly bulk buys? Are they mostly indie bookstore sales? Are they mostly Amazon mm -hmm. sales? Even which the even which list the book could be considered for has a big effect. So hmm. while no list is perfect, right? Because we're looking no. at sale data there there really yeah. is no way to actually track who is reading and consuming these books because even on goodreads people rate books they haven't read um, yes <laughs> it is the main slash only metric to really see what people are buying um and these lists have an impact on books that are stocked in stores across the country both at chain and indie stores they can dictate what books land in library stacks, and it is proven that having a New York Times or a USA Today bestseller stamp on your book um, does lend some cred to a lot of consumers when they're perusing stacks. Absolutely. As one blog I read wrote, though, there is an element of ego to the outpouring of frustration over the USA Today list. Um being paused, though I would argue that that is just one piece of a very massive puzzle. This blog was very, uh, like, the whole thing was about how everybody's egos are hurt because the list is paused. And I was like, I think oh. there's, there is more to this story. Like, sure, I'm sure there are yes. some egos that are bruised, but that's not the whole issue. No, here. I think that's also like a huge generalization we know that like the new york times isn't super fair in the way like exactly there's there's a few things going on there um oh i'm gonna burp that's okay excuse me <laughs> uh so along with being an editor on the list um and the editor most people seem to equate to the list kaden also reported on publishing news and published book reviews focusing on romance mystery thrillers and nonfiction. Mm. As of right now, there is no word on when or even if the USA Today list will return, um, with many people not only upset about the list being gone, but Kaden, who was such an industry force behind the list itself. Um, yeah. And I remember when it was like slowly coming out and people were whispering about it on TikTok, there were a lot of people that were like, it really stinks because the the person behind the list really is the reason the list is the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. You can't just replace that person and expect the same product. Right. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah. I think like, because I guess I never really step back to think about how many of the books that I'm reading are US best, like today bestsellers, but a lot of them are, especially the books that I'm reading on Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> Yeah. Or the books that are being indie published or self-published. Like anything that's not by the big traditional publishing houses yeah. don't really stand a chance of hitting the New York Times bestsellers. So I feel like the US Today, because that's the, the the place that I see it most often is on Kindle Unlimited in book bios of like, this is a mm, USA, USA Today, Today bestseller. bestseller author. Yeah, which 
is very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and that that article that was kind of talking about egos was saying the while the list does help self-published authors, obviously a traditionally published author is going to have more of a leg up because of the reach that their book is going to have, right? Because yeah. you have to guarantee that your book is being sold somewhere other than Amazon. Yeah. Um, which may not be true for a self-published author. Absolutely. Like maybe their websites, but it's it's so expensive to get your book in, in, in anywhere. <laughs> right. Um, but there were a lot of people that were like, because of the nature of the list and its requirements, it really does have a wider reach, even though it's a harder list to get on. Yeah. But it, I think it means a lot. Yeah. Interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious to see what's going to happen with this, because I think there were only... I forget because I saw a book of article by Book Riot that was like combining a bunch of bestseller list roundups and they said yeah. there are either three or four big bestseller lists but now that the USH Day is gone that's one less um, and it kind of feels like the way there was the big five and now there's big four publishers um, that it's like who is going to win out and are they going to alter some sort of, I hate this word, agenda? <laughs> um, but, but it's you know, like it, it feels like the less lists there are, the more disingenuous it could be. Well, absolutely. And that goes with like why, like if we look at any field of science or any, and so many things like tests need to be able to be recreated and like you need to get a whole bunch of different sources because getting the, the small and smaller the pool of information that you can pull from, the less accurate or authentic that information is. Right. And like I said, there are pros and cons to these lists. Like these lists are going to help specific people, like booksellers, yeah. librarians, publishers, authors. And they are going to help readers too, because there are people that trust these lists and probably yeah. have found authors that they love on them um but I kind of equate them to the Goodreads Awards which are like the the tagline of the Goodreads Awards are like the most read books of the year and I'm like you can't say that because that's not true like you because then you would just choose the most read book in the year right and there's there's no way to get a metric on that People are liars. I'm a liar. People are liars. <laughs> the amount of people that rate books before they even come out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know? So go if you don't believe us, go to the Six of Crows 3 book that hasn't even been announced and see how many ratings are on that book. Seriously. You know? And and look at some of the nominations. Cause like the there's I don't know what the cutoff date is, but there were so yeah. many books on last year's Goodreads Awards that had come out like two or three weeks prior. Lit, I remember. I re- I, d- I don't even think I voted because I was like I don't. I I was like I'm so voted sorry, maybe one or two of the categories. I haven't read these books yet because they just came out. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that actually because they honestly they do the awards pretty early in like 
November or December. They don't even wait till like yeah. mid-December to do them. Yeah. Fine. He's like, put me down. I'm like, fine, okay. It's interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, that, honestly, mostly it sucks because that woman lost her job. That sucks. I know. Sucks that that woman lost her job. Especially since she was doing a good job of her job. Right? Tw- 26 years? That's crazy. A long time. Well, great job. Thanks. Um, do you have a title for your title for your story now? No. She did what for 26 years? It's a clickbait title. <laughs> perfect. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> um, I also don't have a title for my story yet. My story. It's real life. My I guess it's still a story. Um, but my book report today is on Roald Dahl's books being changed and republished, which was something that swept the nation, swept the world internationally. This guy's, it's a lot. His books are, have a wide reach. Correct. Um, so earlier this year, it was like the first two weeks of February, a news of a like re-releasing of Roald Dahl's books swept across the world and sparked many conversations about censorship, sensitivity readers, and how we can continue to enjoy works of the past through the lens of our current day. First of all, I just want to get a definition out of the way. Censorship is by Britannica.com. Um, this was the my, the the one I liked the most because a lot of them is like the act of censor, and I was like, okay, well, okay, but what a censor, yeah, <laughs> not helpful. That's I was like, okay, um, censorship, the changing or the suppression or prohibition of speech or writing that is deemed subversive to the common good. Hmm. It occurs in all manifestations of authority to some degree, but in modern times, it has been of special importance in its relevance to government and rule of law. So what I specifically like about this definition of censorship is that uh, it's the prohibition, the changing prohibition or suppression of speech or writing that is deemed subversive to the common good. So not good to the common good, which I was like, okay, kind of slay. Thank you Mm -hmm. for that definition. Um, Here's a little thing about Mr. Dahl. He died in 1990, which I was like, he's been... Okay. For a while. Yeah. Um 22 years. He wrote, he wrote longer than that. 30, what am I? 32 years. <laughs> 33 years. <laughs> Can't do math. Can't do math. Can't do math. Passing away. Passing away. Passing Ooh. away. Um, Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. He was 76 though, kind of old. Okay. I mean, um, I think that's kind of young. <laughs> in 1990, I guess. I think he also passed away of cancer, if I'm being uh, completely transparent, I believe. Mm. Um, sorry, I don't know why I'm talking about his death. Move on, Danielle. Anyway. So, guy wrote a lot of... Yeah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, he wrote a lot of books that we all know. Matilda, <clears throat> the BFG, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Willy Wonka, Witches, so many. Jesus and Giant Peach. Mm-hmm. Um. And his books have, like, sold so much worldwide. They've been translated into over 63 languages, which is crazy. And it's sold, like, 300 million copies of his books. But something to consider is we're still continuing to sell these books every year at such a high rate, right? It's not something that, like, 
was really popular and that was kind uh, kind of started to fade it's been steadily growing yep uh with a lot of that to do with a adaptations that are coming out of his works mm-hmm. we just got the matilda musical from netflix we just got mm-hmm. witches this past year oh we yeah get a bunch of stuff from him and that kind of plays into a, a bit of the story but i mean you can't talk about roll doll without talking about the willy wonka movie it's true and both, they made a musical both, of them. And they made both <laughs> movies they made a musical like they're so they're that property is so big and it also has like osmosis itself into so much of our culture yeah. um so i think it's important to talk about um mostly because this man is controversial <laughs> roldal was incredibly anti-semitic um so much so that in 2020 his estate family mm-hmm. came out with an apology <laughs> about how uh sorry they are for his anti-semitism which mm-hmm. again if we are to do the math it's 30 years after he passed away so what you know you got a question okay what why wait 30 years and why now right like yeah i think those are fair questions to ask so the family says this the Dolph family and the Roald doll story company which is like his estate Mm -hmm. Um, deeply apologizes for the lasting and understandably hurt caused by some of Roald Dahl's statements. Uh, And then there's like a couple examples of the things he said. They're just really bad. Like in one of these, he talks about how, uh, because he has a lot of characters that are like stand in Mm. of Jewish people, but in very like caricatures and anti-Semitic ways, like just not good news. Uh, But in one of these quotes in 1983, so very soon, again, we're talking about his death. I'm so sorry. Move on, Danielle. Um, Talks about how the straight of a Jewish character, um, like he's saying, like, he he doesn't think it causes problems or is bad because, you know, there's a reason that Hitler chose this group of people, which was like, (laughs) rolled all. Shut up. Oh, no. And that's like the t- that's the tip of the iceberg. So I'm not gonna go into the whole can of worms, but just know this man anti-Semitic, yeah. And a lot of that was infused into his works, and it's problematic because it's problematic, but also on top of that problematic, it's children's work. So like they don't have that wherewithal to like, oh, this this <laughs> description of this character is problematic for X Y Z reason. Yeah. Um. So then the family goes on to apologize and says, those prejudiced remarks are incomprehensible to us and stand in marked contrast to the man we knew and to the values at the heart of Roald Dahl's stories, which have positively impacted young people for generations. We hope that just as he did his best at his absolute worst, Roald Dahl can help us remind us, can help remind us of the lasting impact of words. And then uh, they go on to say, basically. I'm so sorry. I would say I play that back and think about, think oh, about I it. Know. I know. Because then it's like, they say this and then people are like, but you can't change his words. I'm like, Bruh. that was such a slap in the face. Huge. Uh, they go on to say, apologizing. This this part got me. Apologizing to the words of a much loved grandparent is challenging at times to do, but made more difficult when the words are so hurtful to an entire community. We love Raul but we passionately disagree with his anti-Semitic comments. Point blank, period. On their website, they were like, but the timing of this is a little suspicious because mm-hmm. just before this statement was published, sure, it went public that Netflix had acquired a whole bunch of his property to uh, 
adapt. adapt. Yes. There was a lot of articles that said this was in negotiations part before the Netflix thing, whatever, whatever. But timing is what it is. Take that with take that into consideration, I suppose. Sure. Uh, a lot of people are... <laughs> there was like a bunch of <laughs> articles where people uh, were talking about his anti-Semitism and being like, you know, I loved his books. And I knew about the anti-Semitism. Uh, even to the point even to point it out, often felt like sacrilegious towards one of the most popular authors of all time. So people being like, we knew about the anti-Semitism, but it felt like it was insurmountable to go against it because so many people, this work was so beloved by so many people, which mm-hmm. is fair. It's something that we quite literally were just talking about the other episode. Yeah, right. Um, I know. I was like, sound familiar? <laughs> sounds familiar. Um, so here's, here's the meat and potatoes of what's going on. Basically, Puffin, which is a UK version of penguin it's a uh, imprint yes. I believe. um it's just a different penguin it's a jiff isn't that just the sweetest thing <laughs> isn't that just the sweetest thing um how they have these current editions of the books that are coming out okay. which has the following wording on the copyright page words matter the wonderful take two the wonderful words of Roald Dahl can transport you to different worlds and introduce you to the most marvelous characters this book was written many years ago and so we regularly review the language to ensure that it can continue to be enjoyed by all today so that's their they put that on every copy of the book on the copyright page to say basically these were revisions were made to this book to make it able to be enjoyed by people nowadays okay and this is what I thought was very interesting. So the revisions didn't just come from anybody. They came from sensitivity readers, specifically an organization in the UK called Inclusive Minds, uh, which described themselves as a collective for people who are passionate about inclusion, diversity, equality, and accessibility in children's literature and are committed to changing the face of children's books. Mm-hmm. So this is a little bit about the, the company because I thought it was very interesting. Uh, founded in January of 2013, Inclusive Minds is an organization that works with children's books works in the children's books world, sorry, to support an authentic representation, mm-hmm. primarily by connecting those in the industry with those with lived experiences in many and multiple facets of diversity. Okay. Awesome. When Inclusive Minds launched 10 years ago, it played a valuable role in helping to raise awareness for the importance of better and more authentic inclusion in children's books. The organization has also uh, evolved with the changing needs of the industry and is awareness of the need of diversity inclusion has dramatically risen in recent years there is less need for inclusive minds to campaign for books to be inclusive and a greater need for the practical service we offer in terms of helping ensure authenticity so now they're saying there's a lot more diversity but is that diversity authentic diversity which is great so this is the important part inclusive minds do not edit or rewrite texts but provide book creators with valuable insight from people who have relevant lived experiences that can take into consideration uh, in the wider process of writing and editing. So they don't go in and they don't go and change the book. They just provide feedback to the author, to the estate saying, this is what could make this more inclusive. Sure. So keep that in mind. So this, the article was broken by the, t- the daily telegraph, okay. which if you fell asleep, was I was just complaining about because <laughs> let me read the article. <laughs> so um a lot of this is people who uh reporting on that daily report article. <laughs> so bear with me. Um so basically it was revealed in this Daily Telegraph article that 
hundreds of changes across the author's many books had been made. Um, and <laughs> journalists working on the piece found 59 changes in The Witches Alone. Um, How big is that book? It's not very big, but also The Witches is incredibly anti-Semitic. <laughs> if, I like, if you, based on the title? I would assume. Based so. on the title, yeah. Um, so it is what it is. Um, so then people were speaking out against censorship, obviously. So there's this um, author who, there's actually quite a few people who, and I won't go into all of them, but are basically like, hey, this isn't cool, censorship isn't great, if we start censoring some things, we're going to censor everything. Or the Prime Minister of the UK says, he felt like he needed to chime in, Uh, he says, when it comes to our rich and varied literary heritage, the Prime Minister agrees with the BFG that you shouldn't gobble funk around with words. So the man quoted rules on his made up word. Okay, buddy. Uh, he goes <laughs> on to say it's important that works of fiction and liter- literature are preserved and not airbrushed. We've always defended the right to free speech and expression. But this is such an interesting conversation because censorship, there's so many types of censorship, right? Like there's a censorship right. we see where like books are being taken off of shelves in the US that are queer stories that are by POC stories like that censorship but then there's this censorship where it's like oh this character was called crazy and we now know that calling someone who's mentally ill crazy maybe isn't the vibe so we will call them this now Mm. like it's I don't know and I guess it's a bigger question like is it all bad is some of it okay can some of it be okay well like it's I don't know I don't have the answers to those questions but it's interesting right and I guess the one of the questions in this scenario is like because his work has been published up to this point for many yeah. years. This isn't a new yeah. work. This isn't, and yeah. it hasn't been changed up until let's say twenty twenty. Um, can that be considered censorship when you can go look back at any other copyrighted year? That's the thing, and read that the original the text. And just to hold on to your horses because uh, absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely. I feel smart. You do. You are smart. Um. Okay. So then the Roald Dahl story company. Remember them? Yeah. Uh, how could I forget? Sent out. How could you forget? Uh, this. <laughs> they sent out a statement to CNN explaining why they were doing this change with Puffin. Okay. And this is what they said. We want to ensure that Roald Dahl's wonderful stories and characters continue to be enjoyed by all children today. When publishing new prints, runs print runs of books written years ago, it's not unusual to review the language alongside updating other details, including a book's cover and page layout. Our guiding principle throughout this has been to maintain the storylines, characters, and the irreverence and sharp-edged spirit of the original text. Any changes made have been small and carefully considered. Okay. Sounds kind of nice. People, this woman, Suzanne Nozel, the CEO of Pen America, 13 tweet threat. She Whoa. was upset. She was alarmed by the changes which have been made in a, a purpose a purposed effort to scrub books and which might offend somebody yeah maybe they especially it's children they're offending children also it is anti-semitism and that's yeah 
or it's like, like phobia, or it's like it's like, just like it, there's, there's so much <laughs> there's so much and like there are so many socially ingrained issues like anti-semitism that yes. frequently continue to cause harm absolutely absolutely like this is hitting a little close to home because i'm working on a play about the Holocaust. you are you are and you are. and we have like been looking the anti-semitism of 2022 and 2023 dead in the face this whole time what's happening with the parade like previews that are happening right oh my god there's so much there's so, what's happening with Kanye like, West. like when i so say relevant. there are people in our building genuinely scared for the safety of their lives like that's it, not a that's so not a much, joke it's so much bigger than just you're changing words and it's not okay because it's part of history because it, it does thing. leave the page it leaves it, the page. It, and it has real life impacts absolutely think about what was happening like the one thing that i can culturally connected to right in my brain right now is what was happening in 2020 with the black lives matter movement when they were asking for these statues to come down of these confederate soldiers or these slave owners like yeah and people are like it's just a statue but but it's what it represents it's the yeah. history it's the oppression that it represents does have actual harm on people and it's the continued education of the suppression of these marginalized yep. groups instead yep. of educating to change absolutely it's not that absolutely. it's educating no. to uphold and that's the, and who are we upholding old white men it is what it is it's not as we can change it let's change it um <laughs> let's change it i panic they did uh feel like that's true and we are continuing to change it even us here on this podcast talking about this we're changing things um philip pullman the acclaimed author of his dark materials yeah. fantasy series talks about he um he talks about his opinion <laughs> so he, just, he he was on the bbc radio show where he talks about <laughs> that dolls books should be left to fade away um he highlighted the fact that whatever changes might be made today, millions of older editions of the book are circulating in schools, libraries, secondary stores, and elsewhere. He said, all those words are still there. Are you going to round up all the books and cross them out in a big black pen? Holman acknowledged that language changes over time and said children should be encouraged to pick up alternative authors. Of role of Doll's books, he says, let them fade away, read better writers, which I think it's a bigger, that for me, like I get what he's saying, but what specifically about doll's books is that they have snuck their way into curriculum in schools right schools all over the world read doll's books as part of the curriculum yeah um which means it's hard to it's hard to get away from these books in the same way like shakespeare is part of curriculum you learn about william shakespeare you learn about world doll and you read his books because they're honestly interesting book for children because they have like ferocious little kids who can take down tyrannical and mean adults mm -hmm. um their fantasy worlds that are very exciting he doesn't like stray away from crude things like they're starting in his book and burping and kids love that right um but it's in schools so right. i don't unless it's a whole world rev revolution happening it's the same thing with like harry potter like harry potter has become part of the curriculum in some places people read harry potter as part of their ela coursework sure and 
it becomes a bigger question I think when it's in schools and it's like this is what we are teaching rather than this is what my kid came along with at a bookstore and I can have a conversation with because what are we what are we teaching right and I think at that point it becomes a question of like okay maybe we can make the suggestion that this book shouldn't be in a curriculum anymore but also maybe it should be and it should be utilized to conversations discuss literary devices that uh promote anti-semitism absolutely because i think it is really valuable to talk about this used to be that's not gonna happen in the united states (laughs) no and that's the thing and like i even think about the same the same um logic is used and people are like we want to ban good books in schools it's the same logic where it's like okay where do you where do you make that moral divide what is okay what is not okay and it's very independently based on what your beliefs are right because like you said the the definition of censorship is the the common good what's deemed common good right now normative culture the people who have the power it's which uh, if we're going by the standards of what's happening in the united states right now then we're pulling anything that has lgbtq representation out of schools yeah and it's it it's it's such a messy thing and like the second censor because then it's like what is breaking laws in censorship what is breaking people's freedom of speech in censorship but also like if we're looking at censorship is always at the cost of somebody else right yes censoring someone's voice always is detrimental to somebody else right and it's like, well, where where does that person weigh into the equation on both sides? It's yeah. it's a very interesting conversation, and I don't think there's a right answer because if there was one, I feel like we would have made a definitive right. Choice, and I think right? it's, like it's a very different conversation when you're talking about somebody like Roald Dahl who's been dead, right? I think yeah. it is a much yeah. easier choice to mm-hmm. do to do what Pullman said. Like that yeah. is that is the easy answer. Absolutely. The hard answer is getting everybody on board to educate, where if you're talking about authors that are still alive and are still publishing and are heavily ingrained in our culture, yeah, I do think that's like two different things, it is. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's tough. It's tough, but very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. So you're probably thinking to yourself, what were the changes? Let me tell you some of them. Yeah, I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to yourself, what's the uproar about? Um, so here are some of them. And um, for example, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, mm-hmm. Augustus Gloop is no longer fat, he's enormous. And the Oompa Loompas are no longer small men, but small people. Matilda, um, she once went to India and now she travels to California. In Fantastic Mr. Fox, the chicken's feelings have been spared. They are no longer called stupid. Uh, Children who once read about the wig-wearing bald women and the witches are now told. There are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there is certainly nothing wrong with that. So those are some of the ones that they've chosen to highlight. And it's interesting because Roldal actually made a couple changes he talks there's so many people with memoirs on this man but in one of them they talk about um how he had made this change in charlie and chocolate Bakery because he had originally had the oompa loompas as like a very racist character stereotype of black men black Shocker. little people um so he changed it to rosy colored little people 
And then now that's changed to small people <laughs> uh, or little men. Little people. So he okay. even made, he, well, that's what it was. And now it's little people is what, <laughs> right, right, right. He, right, right. what he changed to. Um, but he, it's interesting that like, he even in his own works while he was alive was like, oh, ooh, ooh. Um, but so, still couldn't. Like still didn't bring it to them. No, still the, he was like, oh, I draw the line. Jeez. <laughs> um, okay, there's just a couple other things to round out this bad boy. Um basically with the uproar, people mm-hmm. were upset. Whatever. Shocker. <laughs> I said and, it in our last episode. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got them. Everyone has them. Um, But basically, Huffin came out with a statement that said, we took some time to reflect on the discourse happening over the past week, and we've decided that we're going to put out another collection, which has all of the original oral doll books with all of the original wording for Mm -hmm. anybody who would like to collect them. Um, So... (laughs) Okay. You know, it is what it is, I guess. I don't know. Especially, like, reading those changes. And I obviously know that's not all of them. They're right. so small. Like, Augustus Gloop being called enormous instead of flat. Like, to me, that almost seems worse. I, I agree. <laughs> I like, agree. I'm going to be honest. I would rather read about a kid being called fat than saying the kid is enormous. I, you know what? And it's, it's interesting I, I would love to see like a breakdown of all of the big changes. Right. But even like the witches one, it's like women wear wigs for other reasons. Yeah, they absolutely I, do. Yeah. Um, they're not just witches. Your mom's friend who is having chemotherapy right now, who wears a wig, is not a witch. She's sick, sick. babe. Um but and so then the article basically the at the end, uh this was a Washington Post article, most of the second half of this. Uh, the guy talks about his own opinion and I think it's interesting so I want to read you some of it um, the absolutionist position about against tinkering with dead authors works is generally the best one mm-hmm. and right wing efforts to ban swaths of stories about black Americans and LGBT- LGBTQ people make all efforts to f- fix literature sound sinister but when my elder daughter who has cerebral palsy was little I wouldn't have read a book to her that included, say, gags about people with mental and physical disabilities. It's all well and good for Pan America to recommend that editors and publishers offer context in a preface or introduction that prepares modern readers for the material to help them understand the setting in which the original work was written. But such advice feels wholly irrelevant to the actual experience of reading with my own innocent child. Hmm. Um... Over the time, as other racist and sexist and ableist elements of beloved stories grow more fetid and undefensible, indefensible, who's to say those shouldn't also be adjusted for children? But more sparingly and even reluctantly, not as a social warrior out to purify the world, but a cautious editor working under the burden of the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. Which I think is interesting, right? Yeah. This idea of doing no harm. And it, it, it again, then it's like, what's the context, right? Like people who believe that queer people 
should not have rights they believe that those stories are causing harm but like we all know that that's not true yeah it gets into this whirlpool this like oh, drain of like oh gosh depending on your context and your positionality what you believe is right and wrong is very very different right which is why then censorship becomes such a convoluted topic. and confusing yeah. topic to talk about yeah Oh, anyway, that is that is basically ruled all. They're coming out with some books that have been changed, and you, but you can still buy the old ones. So, wow, yeah, that was great. Thank you. Well done. Give me a lot to think about. It is. It's a. It's a big. It's a big. Lots of layers. Much Shrek. So big many onion. Layers. It's a big onion. Big onion. Big onion. Oh, so uh, what do you read? <laughs> <laughs> Not real doll. Um, Thank God. <laughs> uh, I am going to talk about two books because I can. Yeah. Um, I finally started The Light We Carry by Michelle Obama. Oh, yeah. Which <laughs> was on the last published USA Today bestsellers list. Um, I have been listening to the audiobook and I loved Becoming. It is one of my favorite nonfiction books. I love the mm. audiobook of Becoming. I think Michelle is an incredible writer um, and an incredible person. And she just has so many life lessons that mm-hmm. are delivered with so much grace. Um, and I was really, really excited to read this book because I had no idea what it's about. And I totally missed that the byline of it is the light we carry overcoming in uncertain times. And in the intro, she talks about how the the crux of this book is to talk about the tools she uses um, when she's faced with challenging situations, scenarios, anxieties, and the skills she has developed throughout her life to Mm. work through those situations which like as the first black first lady of the united states i can only imagine how much adversity she had to walk through um and she does talk about that in the first book um and so it's just been a really wonderful read there's been there was like a whole chapter on parenthood basically which Mm. was very interesting to listen to as somebody that doesn't have kids and (laughs) doesn't know if they want kids probably doesn't want kids um but kind of made me reflect on like my own parents parenting style and was very healing (laughs) in a lot of ways for the and thinking about the decisions that my parents made um Mm -hmm. and probably how they came to make it because uh, she not only talks about her parenting style, she talks about her own mom who lived with them in the White House for the eight years. She talks about her mom's parents um, and then a little bit about uh, Barack Obama's family ties, but that's less in the parenting side of things. Um, gotcha. But she also talks about like being a partner and she she kind of, she does really dive into her and uh it, I don't know why I like don't know what to call him because Mr. Obama does not seem right. Um, 
Mr. Obama. (laughs) Uh, Barack Obama's relationship in the first book. And so it was really interesting to hear her kind of talk about that again, but in more of like a, here's how we work through things. So I'm just really enjoying it. It is a quicker read than Becoming. It's like an eight hour audiobook, and it's a pretty okay. Um, yeah, it's not thin, too bad. Thin ish book. So um, I'm working through it much faster than I did Becoming, and I am enjoying every second of it. I also just find her voice so soothing. Um, yeah. She's a really great voice for audio. Um, and then the second book I want to talk about is, and Danielle briefly talked about daughter of no worlds um oh yeah a couple weeks ago (laughs) so i'm just gonna bring it up again because i finished the whole series oh and oh my god it was so good um it the first book follows tisana who escapes slavery goes to this island that she believes is going to be her savior and they end up enslaving her in a new way. Um, but through this, there is some romance. There is a lot of action and adventure. And we start to really dive into the like layers of magic that are built into this world. Um, because Ooh. it's the the magic system, especially as it unfolds, is super fascinating. It's not just like one person has earth magic, another person has mind magic. It's like there are conscious levels of magic and the deeper you go the more unstable they are and no one should be able to access different levels after a certain point because a body cannot sustain that amount of connection um and so the second and third books i really enjoyed uh i I find a lot of people like sequels better than the third book in a trilogy, where sometimes Mm. I find I'm the opposite, because sometimes I find the second book doesn't quite hold up to the first. Um, Or they just, like, haven't quite gotten their footing um, because they're trying to figure out where to go in the third book, where I really felt like the trajectory from one to three made sense to me. Um, especially in character development. Like, I think she, she had a really interesting way of combating, giving her characters a lot of power and figuring out how that worked within that world. I don't, she kind of ish fell into the, like, I gave my female character a lot of power and I have to (laughs) take it away, but not in that sense. Like there's a, there's a reason and and we like recover it's cool as long as it's justified it's fine but when it's Um, not exactly um and there are more relationships to discover in the second and third books and it's like, like to the point where i got one of my coworkers to read it and she finished the first book after i did and started the second book when I was a couple chapters into it and then she was like Deirdre you ha- I need to know where you are and I was like oh I'm on like chapter 20 she was like I'm on 55 you gotta catch up and so through like two <laughs> it was two days of us 
like between quick changes running backstage trying to find each other and be like where are you (laughs) that's how that is like how intense the book was um I felt like it it was very fast-paced it was very action-based which I kind of needed at the moment I didn't want something that was slow um the only slow thing about it is the romance (laughs) that's it which is Um, fine who doesn't love a slow burn I shouldn't say that. The The first half of the second book is kind of a slow build, but there's there's a reason. There's a reason. Uh, the content warnings, loss of bodily autonomy is a pretty big one. Mm. Mm-hmm. War, violence, rape, mm. slavery, mm. Um, genocide. Mm. All the big ones. The big boys. All the, the big, big boys. boys. Uh, and I would say they are all graphic. I, I would. The only reason I'm calling the rape graphic is because though it is not on the page, it is mentioned a lot. Yeah, it's not just mentioned once. It is. It is constantly brought up. Oh, and torture. Duh. How could you forget torture? <laughs> That's a really big one throughout the whole series. Uh, yeah. so yeah. But if you can, especially like gory body torture. If you can stomach that, yeah, I do recommend it. <laughs> yeah. But it's dark. It is a dark fantasy. I put it on pause. It's okay. I put it on pause. I think I might pick it back up. Uh, it it is a lot. <laughs> like it's it's very dark. Yeah. Like even just the first book, her description of her treatment everywhere. I'm like. Could she catch a break, please? Could and she doesn't going forward. She, I did have somebody. And I got that sense. I was I, like, oh God. I had someone in my comment section who said they stopped reading during the second book because they couldn't deal with how much was happening to, to Sana, which oh. I do think more happens to her in the first and third books. Okay. Uh, personally. Like, okay. For my personal metric system of dark fantasy. <laughs> um because my my bigot there I have like a couple uh things that I wish were better about the books and my one thing is sure. I do shockingly feel like Carissa pulls her punches when it comes to Tasana's treatment oh. there are some times where I'm like I kind of wish you follow through yeah um because even though I can't stomach what's happening to her right now I yeah. do think it's like an abrupt end yeah interesting interesting i think that's just me somebody who reads a a lot of dark fantasy (laughs) but it's true though right because it's like if you keep getting set up as this is the worst case scenario but they're always saved at the last minute or things just don't happen it breaks that attention right i don't know if that's what i'm guessing here but it definitely kind of not really kind of not really okay slay um that sounds great what a great two books you're reading so I was discussing with Deirdre I was like Deirdre I haven't really read any books since Friday (laughs) I'm making my way through the period book I'm learning a lot I'm really enjoying it talking to every woman in my life about it anybody I'm so excited to read it I'm I'm telling them about it Uh, I just got to the part about the COVID vaccine and oh. how it how it uh, affected menstrual cycles but not in a fear-mongering way I really like she's like well duh it's a vaccine of course it's going to change your menstruation cycle and I was like so many women I know did have changes in their menstruation after their COVID vaccines um 
And I'm like, yeah, I want to talk. Like, we should talk about it. Uh, But not in like a don't get the vaccine way. But in a way of like, yeah, it's a disruption in things that are going on in your body, of course. Yeah. And you should talk to your doctor. Yeah. Or like, the vaccine is right for you. Yeah. Or like, just like if you got the flu shot and your period changed, it's the same thing or it's similar, whatever. Uh, But here are two books that are very different. I've never shown this book ever. Um, I found I found this book in a small town used bookstore in Nanton, Alberta. Okay. It's about a five block. It's a five street small town that I drive through to get to Calgary. Okay. That is me and my mom's halfway date. So when we want to have our halfway dates, we go to Nanton, Alberta. They have a very good candy store. Um, but I found this <laughs> book in a used bookstore. It was like five bucks and I lost my mind. Uh, this is Vampire Kisses by Ellen Schrader, which you've probably heard me talk about. So this is the first three books combined into one book. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's So the books are Vampire Kisses is the first novel, Vampire Kisses 2, Kissing Coffins, Vampire Kisses 3, Vampire Veil. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Vampire Kisses follows their protagonist, Raven, because Obviously, her name's Raven. She's a goth girl who moves to this small town that she calls Dunsville. What she calls it? Yeah, Dullsville. Dullsville. She calls it Dullsville. Um, And she is determined to uncover the secrets about this man who lives in the town who is about her age, named Alexander Sterling, who is a vampire. Mm. This book series... (laughs) this book series is so not good uh but it is so good it is so bad but it is so good this book series means so much to me this was the book series that uh, I would get every week from the library I would try to get the next book there's only six so I would just rotate through I just wanted to keep reading this book series I loved this book series uh it is so profoundly nostalgic for me um and here's just so there's a little like teaser and also it's in horrible condition but i needed it um here's just a little like precursor okay the most exciting things to happen in dullsville in my lifetime in chronological order it's getting buried back on twilight um one the 310 train jumped its tracks spilling boxes of tootsie rolls which we devoured two a senior flushed a cherry bomb down the toilet exploding the sewage line in closing school for a week three on my 16th birthday a family rumored to be vampires moved into the haunted mansion on top of benson hill um oh yeah the one thing that's the numbering is, for me it's the numbering it's that i'm irrevocably and irrevocably in love with him i don't know if those are the words don't quote me um what i like <laughs> what, what makes this different than from other vampire books is that these vampires much like the true blood vampires cannot go out during the day so this book is just full of raven sitting at school or sitting at home waiting for the sun to go down to go visit alexander that's quite literally what these books are is her being like and then her running to his stupid little mansion uh for those of you Um, that are listening instead of watching danielle and i just both checked uh, our non-existent watches (laughs) (laughs) going like this um anyway i'm just uh this means so much to me it's just like i'm starting to collect these books that are awful like gabriel's inferno I have, they're just like books that i find at used bookstores that are uh that means so much to me but i will probably never reread 
but I just love them so much. I love uh, that. Here's here's uh, the one that I'm actually going to read. This is called Simon Sort of Says by Aaron Bow, um, who is a Governor General's award-winning author for mm-hmm. one of their other works. Um, this was sent to me by Scholastic Canada. Thank you, Scholastic. Love your book fairs. Nice. It's the story of Simon, who, and content warning for school shootings, who is the sole survivor of a school shooting, who's like, this story has followed him around his whole life. So his parents move him to a national quiet zone where there is no electronics and no internet because astronomers are trying to find proof of life in space. <laughs> so no yeah. one's heard of him there. Um, and then he meets a kid there that's trying to help the astronomers find life in space. Um, but it's a middle grade book, which I thought was really interesting to have this kind of content in a middle grade book, mm. um, talking about school shootings. And I just think it's interesting. I think like the I've been sent so many middle grade books recently, I think mm-hmm. because um, I've started talking about teaching more publicly online, people like center middle grade, yeah. uh, which I love because I'll just put them in my school life um but I feel like there's been such a huge jump in middle grade content I'd even say this kind of teeters on being YA more than middle grade the only reason I say middle grade is because I believe he's 12 Mm. um I think I could be wrong um but I just think it's so interesting how far middle grade has come and how it, it gives me hope as a future educator that there are ways to approach every topic you just need to find the right ways in yeah and have the right tone when handling these bigger topics so I'm really excited to read this one I got sent another one called Jude Saves the Day which is about a non-binary uh kid who is trying to come out to his family Mm -hmm. um or trying to come out to their family rather um and it's written by a non-binary author who lives in Canada and I was like oh, oh love that uh, and I started reading it with some of the kids I was doing the PD day camps with and they really liked it and we had some nice conversations about non-binary and gender non-conforming things and I was like this is great that's so good it was excellent so anyway those are the I'm all, that's it that's all I'm reading and I think I'm gonna just pick up that book again that you were talking about all good books all good yeah the children of zero gods one god no god daughter of no worlds the second book is called children of fallen gods okay i'll take that that and then the third one is called mother of death and dawn oh no is she actually a mother in the third one okay no pregnancies in sight thank god there was a moment where i (gasps) thought there's a moment and you I was like, like, I was like, <gasps> but no. jump scare, literally. Uh, okay, that is it. That's the end of our episode. If you liked this episode, you can hit us up on all the social platforms. You can go to our Instagram and you can leave the <gasps> uh, face emoji with the glasses. That's the little nerd. Yeah, with the teeth. With the teeth. Yeah, you can go leave that emoji. You could also... our um instagram is books on the brain pod you can pop on over to our our youtube channel and while you're there you can subscribe hit up (gasps) notifications and leave us the same emoji or tell us how you feel uh you could also rate review and subscribe on any podcast platform because we are on all of them and it means so 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 much and really helps us out 
And mm-hmm. if you want to hang out with me or Danielle, you can find us on our own social platforms. I'm at Deirdre Rose Morgan on Instagram, TikTok, and Instagram, uh, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> um i'm at dj books on tiktok instagram and on pinterest follow me there and that is it we will chat to you in the next one bye bye